Ed and Jade. I appreciate that. A church ought to provide a well-balanced diet. By that I mean there are times you come to church you need to be encouraged and uplifted. And I love doing that. But there are other times that issues, problems need to be dealt with. Rather than encouraging, some messages are more surgical, trying to identify and remove a problem. There perhaps is no greater problem. We got the wrong one up there. You can switch that over. Let me make sure I'm on the right. Yeah, that's for this afternoon. Can you switch it over real quick? It should be the perils of pride. Or I can preach on Christmas. You know, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> you, you find it there? Maybe, did I mislabel it? Oh, I did, I did. I, I put PM. That is my fault. So uh, the, the problem that she's ki- trying to correct right now, you're good. That lady's good up there. No, that was my fault because I see it on my notes. I have Sunday PM, and that's probably what I have on the same notes up there, and that's why you went with that. And I apologize. I have no pride right now. (laughs) None whatsoever. I have been humbled right before you. Okay, that was not her fault. That's mine. Anyway, perils of pride. Um, Pride is terrible. As you're going to see in a minute, pride is the source of a lot of problems. And sometimes it's the responsibility of a pastor. You know, the Bible says a pastor is supposed to impart, reprove, and rebuke. That means acknowledge what is wrong and try to fix it. The Bible also says we're to exhort, and that that would be the the, the encouragement that you you can do it and hang in there. And that's what we're going to focus on really this afternoon. But this morning, it's, it's more of a rebuking. And this is one of those, if the shoe fits, then wear it. Because we're going to talk about a deplorable subject, and that is the subject of pride. I want you to open up your hearts this morning. People that are filled with pride, people for whom this message should convict, oftentimes are never convicted because they're so so full of pride. And I'm very much aware of that. Proud people tend to just ignore a message like this. This isn't for me, this is for somebody else. And that's one of the challenges. So my prayer this morning is that God will convict us of the pride that may be in our life. Some people in this room may suffer more greatly from it from others, but probably to some degree, all of us deal with pride to some degree. John Maxwell is one of the foremost leaders in the area of leadership. and I have a number of his books, and I have learned greatly from him. He wrote about pride. This isn't on the screen behind you. Just listen. He says, when you think of the word pride, does it strike you as a positive or negative? There are certainly many positive types of pride. It's good to take pride in our work. I agree with that 100%. We like it when someone tells us, I'm proud of you. I agree with that. And nearly everyone wants to live in a neighborhood where people display pride of ownership. That's a good thing, good use of the word pride. All of these expressions communicate a positive kind of pride, dignity, respect, honor, traits that we all embrace. But then he goes on to say the following, but pride isn't always positive. Pride can also mean conceit, arrogance, or feelings of superiority. 
This kind of pride is based on self-centeredness, and it's destructive. So destructive is pride that the Bible lists pride as the very first sin that the Lord hates. Proverbs 6.16, in verse 17, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. You really can't get stronger biblical description of something than hatred and an abomination. It says, this is something that the Lord hates. It is an abomination. And the first, and he lists several things here, but the very first thing he lists is a proud look. <coughs> a person that is filled with pride. To whatever degree you and I possess pride, whether it's a big issue in your life or a smaller issue, to whatever degree you and I harbor any pride in our hearts, this is something that our God hates. He calls it an abomination. He will not tolerate it. He will not put up with it. He will do everything in his power to root it out of our lives. It is a serious, serious matter. Preacher from yesteryear, G.K. Chesterton, said, If I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Harry Ironside, a preacher from yesteryear, said, Pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. And those comments are better understood when you look to Scripture and you see the multitude of problems that pride in and of itself can create in our lives. For example, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 2, says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Any pride that we allow in our hearts or our lives is going to produce at some point shame in us. We're going to, in our pride, do something or say something that eventually is going to shame us. If there's pride in your heart or my heart this morning, I'm preaching to me, eventually we're going to say something, do something, think something, or have an attitude that is going to shame us. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride cometh contention. If there's contention between you and your spouse, either you and your spouse or the two of you are filled with pride. That's Bible. Either you or your spouse or the two of you are filled with pride. If there's contention between children and and a parent, somebody is filled with pride. (coughs) If there's contention at work, someone or several someones is exhibiting pride, because only by pride cometh contention. Where there is contention, someone is being proud. Someone is being arrogant. Proverbs 14.3, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. Anyone that is proud is simply demonstrating to that degree they are foolish. A foolish person cannot connect the dots. A foolish person cannot connect actions with consequences. 
And that's a sad state to be. I've said it before from this pulpit. You know, you can be cussed out. You can be called a lot of different names. There's no name, I think, that is, is more, more horrible for an individual than to be called a fool or to be called foolish because that shows a lack of connect, just being able to simply connect the dots. A foolish person doesn't understand that actions have consequences, and therefore they just keep doing the actions and wondering how did these consequences possibly come. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is going to end in destruction. The destruction of a marriage, the destruction of a family. It can occur in a business, a proud businessman will see his business destroyed. A church that gets proud can be destroyed. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: a man's pride shall bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low. I have met in my day, and probably so have you, met people that are filled with pride, that had so much potential, so gifted, so knowledgeable, but they were filled with pride. And as as a result, they never got anywhere near their potential. They were never, ever blessed of God as they could have been. A couple of quotes. Pride builds walls between people. Humility builds bridges. Pride makes us artificial, and humility makes us real. Well, how do you know if you're a proud person? Well, I I came across a list, and I read this list, and I think think that's hitting the nail on the head. I'm going to go through this list. It's 16 different things, 16 different symptoms, if you will. Now, if you're a proud person, you're probably going to think, well, none of these apply to me. That's the challenge of this message. I'm just hoping the Holy Spirit will, will convict you if this is describing you. Let's, let's go through these 16 things real quick. This is not original with me, but I found the list. I'm going to share it with our folks Sunday morning. Common signs of pride. Number one, inability to admit weaknesses or areas of struggle. Number two, very seldom taking responsibility for growth and change. Number three, not very quick to apologize or repent to others. Number four, presenting as someone who knows everything. Number five. Constant defense of self. Number six, having no one with authority to speak into their life. Number seven, cannot be told what to do. Number eight, not teachable. Number nine, seldom ask for help. Number ten, takes themselves too seriously. Can't laugh at themselves. You know, they're prickly. Got to watch what you say when you're around mom. Got to watch what you say when you're around dad. You got to watch what you say when you're around, you know, whoever. Where am I? Takes themselves to share. Number 11, appear to have everything in life under control. Control freaks. Is a proud person. Number 12, lacking in tolerance or patience for others' ideas, problems, or feelings. Number 13, unable to listen to others. Number 14, quickly appears to know it all in your newfound truth, something you've just discovered, and often before you know what you're talking about prematurely. Number 15, sarcastic, caustic, and biting in comments toward people they believe to be beneath them or behind them in life. 
Number 16 looks down at people who react negatively to their opinions or comments. Based on my 40 years of experience in the ministry, I think that is truly an accurate uh, description of a person who is proud, any person that has any one or two of those characteristics. And again, you need to own up to it. You need to realize that as painful as it might be for you, you need to acknowledge it and change it. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates this all too well. The story of the prodigal son. Many of you, if not most of you, know that story. The story of the prodigal son, I think, illustrates the destructive nature of pride. And, though thankfully at the same time, what it takes to get victory over it. Let's go back in history, back in Bible times, this family. And you'll see how pride got into one of the individuals of this family. And then into a second individual of this family, although we're not going to go there. And it is totally destructive. The destructive nature of pride. Let's examine that this morning quickly. In the story, we see, number one, that pride takes us out from the protection of God-ordained authority. Pride will take you out from under the protection of God-ordained authority. And he said, that's the prodigal son, a certain man had two sons, or excuse me, that's the Lord saying that. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them, he's the prodigal, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In other words, his inheritance. He says, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. And his father did just that. He divided unto them his living. He is getting his inheritance because, as you're going to see in the next verse, he's going to leave. He wants out from under the authority of his dad. That's a real indication of a prideful person. They have problems with authority. They have a chip on their shoulder when it comes to authority. And what we need to understand is that in our lives, God has ordained certain authorities. And they are there for a reason. They are there to instruct us. They are there to protect us. They are there to grow us. God has ordained pastors as authorities in the lives of his children. God has ordained government as an authority in our lives. God has ordained the husband and parents as authorities. God has ordained employers as authorities. And those are typically the people that most rebellious, prideful people have problems with. And he is making a serious mistake here when he says, look, give me what's mine, I'm out of here. Got some quotes for you this morning. Pride can call, excuse me, some proud people find it extremely difficult to work under someone else or to submit to an authority. They have to be their own boss. Sometimes a teenager decides, i got to have my way. Sometimes an employee 
goes from job to job to job to job because I got, you know, I'm not listening. I know better than every one of my bosses. But he finds a problem with every one of his bosses. The child finds a problem with his parents. You know, spouses find problems with one another. Pride takes us out from under God-ordained authority. Authority is there for a reason. There is an umbrella of protection that comes when we are under the authority that God has placed in our lives. Number two, pride induces us to make poor and costly decisions. Pride induces us to make poor and costly decisions. Verse number 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Had he remained under his father's authority, his father would have guided him. His father would have coached him. His father was older and wiser. God put him there for a reason. It is a foolish mistake for someone to excuse themselves from under any God-ordained authority. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, getting as far away from the authorities he can, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, There arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Oh, really? Oh, really? You didn't want to listen to your dad. You didn't want to stay at home and work with your dad on the farm like you're supposed to. You knew better. You were smarter. You were wiser. You're making one of the worst mistakes a person could ever make. The absence of God-ordained authority allows us then to make immature, ill-informed, ill-advised, and rash decisions. God ordained authority in our lives because he knew that we needed it. We need the authority of government. Without some form of government, you have anarchy. Nobody wants to live in a society of anarchy. Without the authority of your employer, there's nothing organized. Nothing is going to work well. Nothing is going to be as it is supposed to be. You need that authority. A church needs the authority of a a pastor. Your children need the authority of of their parents. And we need to understand that. I like this quote. Pride can cause you to make careless and needless mistakes due to the lack of prudence. You may trust too much in your ability or underestimate the situation. As such, you may not be as thorough or as cautious as you used to be. This lack of caution can lead to a disastrous turn of events. Pride gets us out from God-ordained authority, and it's at that point that we start making poor, immature, ill-advised decisions. And it always works that way. I've never seen a teenager that was too big for his britches that ended up leaving home, and man, did things go good from that point on. Man, things got a lot better. He got out from under his mom and dad and went out on his own. And uh, you, you've heard the old saying, you know, he didn't want to listen to his parents, so he joined the Marines. <laughs> you know. God knows how to get our attention. Pride induces us to make 
poor and costly decision. I don't need to listen to the pastor. I'm not going to talk to the pastor because I know what he's going to say. It's a mistake, folks. Parents aren't God. Pastor's not God. Parents make mistakes, but they are still God's ordained authority. They're not perfect, but they're still... They, 99.9% of the parents, even though they're not perfect, even though they have their own faults, have their children's best interests at heart. Do they not? They may have their own struggles, but they love their children. And I don't know of a parent in the world in their right mind that is going to give their children poor advice. And especially Christian parents. So you can't pick and choose. Well, pastor, he, you know, he's, he's human like I am. I am. I'm nobody special, but God created this position. God called me to it, and God says to lead. It says to the congregation, obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. Parents watch for the souls of their children, and a good employer will do the same thing. He, he, he wants his employees to be successful, and I know there's some ruthless tyrants out there, and you know I understand that, but I, I find that most employees, Employers, especially small businessmen. I, I talk to small business. I have a heart for, for men that operate small businesses. And to a man, they care about their employees. And one of the hardest things they face is having to lay somebody off when economic conditions don't go right. And God wants those employees to honor the authority that's over them and their employers. That's one of the areas of authority. Number three. Pride ultimately places us under the corrective hand of God. If you're a child of God and you're battling with pride, God knows who you are, he knows where you are, and he will take whatever steps are necessary to get you back in submission, to humble you. Luke 15, 15, and when he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, he basically became a slave at this point. He he wanted freedom. I'm out of here. And he, you know, and he says he lived on riotous living. I'm going to party. I'm going to live it up. And now he joins himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, a Jew now. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He is now under the corrective hand of God. Go out into the laboratory of life. Go out these doors and look at families, look at co-workers and neighbors who are proud themselves or have proud children and whatever and see how well things are going for them. It never goes well. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, No matter how dear you are to God, if pride is harbored in your spirit, he will whip it out of you. They can go up in their own estimation, but must come down again by his discipline. That was Charles Spurgeon a little over a hundred years ago. Pride is self-defeating. To be filled with pride is to be delusional because a person that's filled with pride thinks they're making all the right decisions, taking all the right steps, and all the time, things, life keeps getting harder and harder and harder for them. But the good news about this story is it doesn't end here. It doesn't end with him in the pig pen. It doesn't end with him on bottom. 
And that encourages me that if this son can recover from this dreadful spirit that possessed him, this spirit of pride and arrogance and self-will and self-centeredness, if he can recover and this story proclaim that, it means that others can as well. So we look now at how pride must be dealt with. And there are several steps here. We'll go through them quickly. Number one, realization. You must become aware that you are suffering the consequences of your own self-will. At some point in time, you need to have, I guess what you'd call a come-to-Jesus moment. Here he is in the pig pen. Here he is on bottom. And by the way, he wasn't going to face his pride until God put him on bottom. And that's the risk you take. If you, can't, if, you can't, if you have a problem with pride this morning and you won't deal with it this morning, the Lord is quite capable of ratcheting it down on you tighter. Life getting harder and harder. But in the case of this young man, you have to become aware of your suffering, the consequences of your own self-will. I love verse number 17. This is where the tide changes. He came to himself. He finally came to himself. And he said this. Here he is in the pig pen. How many hired servants of my father's Have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He hits bottom right here. He's out there wallowing in the pig pen. He's hungry, frustrated, disillusioned with life. But rather than getting bitter, he comes to himself. He thinks, this doesn't make sense. My dad has servants that are eating way better than I am. Way far better off than I am. What am I thinking? What am I doing? An eye-opening moment, an aha moment. The, the, The conviction of the Spirit of God on his heart and on his life. What a, what a wonderful moment. And until we come to that moment, as it says here, until you come to yourself, you're going to continue that downward trek further and further and further. But the good news is this morning, you can come to this point too. Life's been tough for you and you're blaming everybody else. Truth of the matter is maybe it's right inside you. Just like that list we read a while ago, nobody can talk to you. Nobody can teach you anything. You got all the answers. The good news is that can change. I like this quote from the pulpit commentary. The soul comes to itself and regains its wisdom when it perceives how foolish it is to be perishing with hunger in its separation from God when it might be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember, these six things doth the Lord hate. A proud look. A proud look. So to correct the problem, first there's got to be realization that I'm in a mess. Then secondly, there's got to be repentance. True, heartfelt repentance. You must confess the sin of pride that has controlled and dominated you. Verse number 18 and 19. I will arise, he says now, and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. 
and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He has had a true change of heart. He's not coming back to his dad and playing games. It's not like, I'm in a mess now. Boy, I hate going back to my dad's house, but I guess I'm going to have to. All right, what do I have to say? I'll go say this. Playing games. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something genuine. This is talking about something that is real. This is talking about something that's heartfelt. Too many of us, our whole lives are spent playing games. It's almost impossible for us to know how to be real and genuine and authentic and candid, which is exactly what we see here. He says, I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned. He's not going back to his father and say, you know, Dad, if I hurt you, you know, please forgive me. No, he said, I've sinned. He's taking full responsibility, full accountability on himself. <clears throat> he says, not just against you, but against God. That's critical. He said, Father, I've sinned against you. I have been disobedient to God. You are the God-ordained authority in my life. And in not listening to you, I'm not listening to God. And he got it. He really got it. We don't need to play games, folks. We don't need to be trying to impress people. We need to be authentic. We need to be real. We need to be genuine. We need to, be, we need to open up about our own corrupt nature, our own sinful nature. Another writer said, So humble should our spirit be. Such should be our sense of undeservedness, that we should be ready to be anything and to do anything, of however lowly a character it may be. Which the, design, which the divine father may assign us in his household. This boy goes back to dad and he says, Dad, look, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. He said, and he doesn't ask to be restored as a son. He said, if you'll make me one of your hired servants. I mean, this is, this is a guy that's gotten it. What, what an encouragement to, to know that there were people like that. There can be people like this today. He doesn't go back. He's not playing games. He knows that he's been a louse. He knows that he's been selfish. He knows that he's been immature. He knows he's been defrauding people, deceiving people. And he said, Dad, he said, look, if you'll just let me be one of the servants, I'll, I'll be good with that. That's an indication to the dad that, hey, this boy of mine, he's got it. He really, he doesn't go back and negotiate. He throws himself at the mercy of God. He throws himself at the mercy of his dad. Too many of us want to go back. We're so filled with pride that even in our repentance, there's still some there that we want to negotiate. It ought to be, husband, forgive me. Wife, forgive me. Mom and dad, forgive me. Number three. Number one, realization. Number two, repentance. Number three, respond. You must respond to the Lord's discipline by returning and making things right with those you have hurt and disappointed. You got to backtrack. You got to go back and make it right. It will not be finished. You may have a change of heart, but you got to go back to the people the authorities in your life, and make it right. Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no worthy to be called thy son. You talk about genuine, real repentance. You're talking about just laying your heart open and acknowledging who you are. He responds. He goes back. Today, he could have picked up the phone and kind of bluffed his dad. Hey, dad, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm, I've, I've been doing bad, and I'm, I'm sorry that I offended you. Uh, 
Please forgive me. And by the way, can you send me 100 bucks? That's the way some people would do it today. That's playing games. That's missing it. He goes back and says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Realization, repentance, respond. A quote under that, out of the greatness and soreness of our need, we come to the conclusion that we will return unto God. Our state of guilt and shame is no longer tolerable. We must turn our back on the guilty past and the evil present. There is no refuge for our soul but God and God who is our home. Which brings us to more. Number four, restoration. Got to be restoration. God and family have the responsibility and privilege to welcome you back into the fellowship. If you've had someone that's grieved your heart for years perhaps, and they want to come back and you sense sincerity. Now, if they're playing games, you need to be on to them. You don't need to be an enabler. You suspect they're playing games, but you just got a mercy heart, and okay, and they're just using you again. You're not helping that individual. It's a hard thing to do, but you don't want to be an enabler. But when someone is heartfelt in their repentance and in, their, in what they're saying and doing, there, there needs to be a restoration. Look at how this father responds. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. This quote, people with proud hearts must realize the problem with relationships are with them or themselves, not others. Families, with few exceptions, are always willing to rejoice when the prodigal comes home. Families, with few exceptions, are all too eager to open. Now, there's a few exceptions. Like in this case, his brother wasn't happy with this at all. His brother is wrong. His brother is obviously filled with pride as, as well. But when those who have been wayward come back and you sense genuine repentance, it is our responsibility, it is our privilege to welcome them back into the fold and be an encouragement to them. You, you can't harbor bitterness. You, you, you can't harbor anger or hurt feelings. If someone is trying to make it right, wants to make it right, and doing their best to be honest with you and forthright with you, and you sense a true repentance, you have the responsibility to put the robe on them, the ring on their finger, to kill the fatted calf. And it has a happy ending, number five. There's realization, repentance. We must respond. There must be restoration. And then rejoicing. Pride, we read a while ago, brings you low. Humility brings you up. When a wayward, self-willed individual finds true humility, that is grounds for rejoicing. Because life is about to get a lot better. For that individual and for those who care about that individual. Verse number 24. For this my son was dead. This was a worried dad. I, I, I can only imagine wondering where his son was and what he was doing. And knowing his son's nature and knowing God, he knew it wasn't going well for his son. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. It was time for rejoicing. It was time for the party. Victory over a proud heart is an occasion for great celebration. D.L. Moody said in closing, the preacher in Chicago for years, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed as we stand, please.